Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. Welcome to City Church. Thanks, guys. You guys are always my biggest cheerleaders. I appreciate that so much. My name is Maddie. Thank you all so much for being here today on this holiday weekend. Once again, I am so grateful for this opportunity to share with you all today just a little bit about what God has been teaching me in this season. I am on staff here at City Church. For those of you that don't know me, I do wear a lot of different hats here. We all do, our whole staff team, but this is probably my favorite job, just getting to step in from time to time and teach on God's word. This and probably getting to hang out in City Kids because we know how to have fun. But it is a privilege and a joy each time God uses me this way. I'm so excited for what we're going to be talking about today. For those of you that were around the last time that I spoke, I started off by saying that this is the hardest message that I've ever had to prepare. And today I get to say that this has been genuinely one of the most joyful and life-giving messages I've gotten to prepare. So I'm pumped. It's a blessing um, getting to learn on this topic, put this message together. We're in a series right now called Teach Us to Pray. Last week, Drake kicked us off with the intro to this series. If you missed it, I highly recommend going back and checking it out. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be fleshing out not only how Jesus taught us to pray, but how we become people of prayer. We're going to be walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. Each word so carefully chosen, talking about why we pray, the God we're praying to, how to deal with prayers that seem to go unanswered, the good, the challenging, all of it. It's going to be awesome. Today, we are talking specifically about adoration through the lens of prayer, offering adoration to God, what it is and how Jesus teaches us to pray this way and why. Something interesting to point out about this passage, this Our Father prayer, is that this is the only place in any of the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. I guess every other time he taught something, he just kind of started talking, which might be annoying if it was anyone else, but he was God, so I guess it's okay. Um, Anyway, what they ask him is, how should we pray or teach us to pray? And in his response, we get the Lord's Prayer. Let's read that really quick. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
So I want to be honest with you, since giving my life to Jesus about eight years ago, this has never really been something that I have turned to or used in my prayer life until now, starting a few months ago when I knew I was going to be speaking on this topic. I always associated it with more of a ritualistic thing, like just repeating it word for word without really any depth of relationship there. It didn't ever feel personal to me. And it's true when people say, There is no wrong way to pray. Our main job is just to show up. And Jesus doesn't say only say this when you pray. There's a lot more that we learn from Jesus and the Bible on prayer, but we cannot ignore the fact that when he was asked, how should we pray, this was his response. So after digging into it and reading this book by Tyler Staten that we're basing this series around, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, I have found that this gives an incredible framework to prayer and we get to dissect it throughout the rest of this series, studying why was this his response to teach us to pray. And it's all pretty incredible. And so today we're just going to be spending the rest of our time on this first verse, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. In the NIV and ESV, that's our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's probably the way most of you know it. That word hallowed literally meaning made holy or greatly honored. And there's so much to unpack in just those few words. I'm so excited. But before we go any further, um, I just want to take a moment and say that if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room today, I understand that today's conversation might be a challenging one to lean into. Adoration cannot exist without the foundational belief that God is good. And if you struggle to believe that, I first just want to say, I see you and I understand. A while back, I was having a conversation with one of my friends who was not a believer. We were chatting about the idea of the goodness of God, and she said, it's difficult for me to trust anyone or anything that says I'm good and to just blindly believe that. And I was like, that is a good point. And I thought about it for myself and I looked back on when I chose to make the decision to follow Jesus and I absolutely took a leap of faith in that when I gave God a shot. I chose to believe him that he was good and let him prove me right. When you think about it, it is kind of hard to let God show you that he's good when you aren't letting him into your life at all. So I made a decision to say, okay, let's try this out. Let's do this thing. And to this day, it has been the best decision I ever made. It's why I'm up here right now talking about how and why I choose to praise Jesus each day. And so my hope for you today, if you have not yet made the decision to believe in and follow Jesus, is simply that you learn a little bit more about the God that I believe in and why I have come to the conclusion over time that he is inherently good, and why it is a blessing to us who call him Father to get to worship him. So with that, I want to tell you a little story. Um, The best example I know of the power of adoration. Some of you may know this story, so if you do, just play along with me, and if you don't, lean in. It's really good. So a long time ago, long time ago, There were these two missionaries, guys that traveled around from place to place sharing the gospel, typically in cities and countries where that was illegal. They ended up in this one town where they got caught and they were stripped and beaten by these city's officials and eventually thrown into prison. And they were such a threat to this government, they were put in the deepest part of the prison and had their feet bound in chains. And at midnight that night, these two guys decided they were gonna start praying and singing songs of worship and praise to God. 
They were literally in a hopeless situation where their human strength was not enough to save them. And what's so interesting is that they didn't ask God for help to help them out of this situation. They just started praising him. And the other prisoners nearby heard them. And in that moment, there was this huge earthquake and all of the prison cell doors flew open and the prisoners' chains literally fell off. All of them, not just these two guys. And the guard that was responsible for keeping the prisoners from escaping was so fearful and ashamed that he was about to kill himself. When one of the two missionary guys said, stop, we're all still here, don't kill yourself. And the guard was so shocked and probably terrified at what just happened, he looked at those two missionaries and asked the question, what do I need to do to be saved? If your God just did that, I want in. They said, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. So they ended up going back to the guard's house that night and sharing the good news with his family. And his entire family was saved and baptized that same night, all because in a moment of desperation, they chose to worship God with adoration. Now, for those of you that picked up on that story, those two guys were Paul and Silas in the Bible. This story is from Acts chapter 16, and I share that now to first just introduce the concept of adoration and because I'm going to reference that story many times. It's just such an incredible testament to the power of adoration. Now, if you're anything like me, when I am in the middle of a hopeless and helpless circumstance or situation, it is not my first response to start praising God for how good he is. I might pray, but I'd be asking for a way out, right? I'd be asking for help. And I think that Paul and Silas knew their God so deeply that they were able to say in that prison cell, Jesus, even though we're here and we don't know why, we know that you are good and you are going to use this for your glory and our good, and he did. They knew that their greatest weapon was praise. So if you've heard me speak before, you probably know that I love giving the dictionary definition to some of the terminology that we're addressing, whatever series we're walking through at the time. So of course, I looked up the definition of adoration in the dictionary. I loved it, so simple, direct, to the point, but so meaningful and accurate to what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, so, the dictionary definition of adoration is deep love and respect. And from that definition, and what we learn from Jesus in the Bible, something I want to point out now is that adoration is different from gratitude. It can look like gratitude, but I would argue that gratitude is a form of adoration, but adoration is not only gratitude, kind of like how every bourbon is a whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. I know that was unnecessary, but I saw an opportunity to talk about whiskey, so I took it. <laughs> Moving on. So adoration is not only gratitude, not just saying thank you, but expressing deep love and respect for God. And today we're going to be talking about how we do that and why it always amazes me that even in worshiping and praising Jesus, he designed even that to be for our benefit as well, and that's what we're gonna be fleshing out today. So first thing I wanna do is talk about the power of adoration, what this specific practice in prayer can do in us, and then narrow down our focus onto what adoration can look like. It can look like a lot of different things. Today is really going to be a starting line conversation to hopefully just provide a deeper understanding to what adoration is and why Jesus tells us to start our prayers this way. So what does adoration do? Adoration reminds us of three things. Who God is, who we are, and who we are to each other. 
And we're going to break that down, but just to give you a snapshot, adoration reminds us who God is, who we are, and who we are to each other. So let's look at our verse in Matthew again. Our Father in heaven. That is a statement of truth and knowing each word so carefully chosen. Our Father. When this text was written, the argument was not, is there a God? People knew that there was. What was so shocking about Jesus' words here was that he made God knowable. Then he adds, may your name be kept holy. I think this part of the verse is twofold. May your name be kept holy in the world. That's the way I've always read it. But also may your name be kept holy in my life, in my heart, in my mind. This is saying, may your name be made greater than mine. It's intentionally choosing to focus on Jesus instead of ourselves. The Passion translation of this verse says, reveal who you are. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. And that word name in Aramaic is Shema, or in Hebrew, Shem, meaning light, sound, or atmosphere. This is so cool. Check out this analogy. Imagine a lamp or any kind of light, really, when that light is in a big room surrounded by a bunch of other junk. It's not super noticeable, but you place that light in a smaller room, and that light becomes magnified. The smaller and smaller the room, the brighter that light gets. And so what this verse is saying is that we should focus our thoughts on God. And the more focused we are, the brighter he gets. So what's your life focused on? Problems, responsibilities, work, spouse, kids, maybe just yourself. That's kind of where I've been in this last season. I found myself getting overwhelmed, easily frustrated with others because my focus is significantly on myself, not Jesus. I spend so much time thinking about my wants, my needs, my desires, and how to fulfill them. I crowd out the light of Jesus by constantly fulfilling what I think I want, and I find myself exhausted because it's a lot of work trying to fill all of our needs ourselves. We weren't made for that. And this verse tells us that when we choose to focus our inner gaze on God instead of ourselves, our problems, our responsibilities, what happens? That light gets brighter. When we choose to focus our thoughts on the goodness of God and praise him, he becomes more and more and everything else starts to fade away into the background, those less important things. And that's not to say that we don't have a job to do, that we aren't called to work and relationships, simply that we are told to elevate God above those things, to make him the center on which our lives turn so that he can do what we can't on our own. Last week, Drake kicked us off in this series and mentioned a quote by Pete Gregg. Um, I want to share it again because it's so good and speaks to why Jesus told us to start our prayers this way. So it says this, The most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. And adoration is the way that we rediscover that truth each day. Staten in his book includes this quote, and then he goes on to say, and yet the greatest barrier to our prayers is that we don't believe the magnitude of God's love for us. Meaning that it actually makes our prayers that much more powerful when we know who we're talking to, specifically how much he loves us. And so hear this, guys, God wants to bless you. God loves to give us what we need, even what we want. And too often, we try to humanize God. We can't fathom that someone or something could actually love us that much. But God wants to bless you. What we learn from Jesus here is that powerful prayer starts with adoration. 
And if Paul and Silas can do it in the middle of that prison cell, I know I can. And once again, the reason why adoration is different from gratitude is because if I'm being honest, I don't always feel thankful. In my midnight, I can't always say, God, thank you. There's something different, something powerful about saying, God, you are, and declaring that over your situation, over your circumstances. When I don't know what to pray for, when I'm not feeling thankful, I do know who my God is. And so adoration, I think, is more often than not an act of defiance to the world, to the enemy, to our own sinful nature. It's probably why I love it so much. I love being defiant when it's appropriate and sometimes when it's not. But later on in this series, we're going to address what we do with unanswered prayers. Some of you might be in a season where it could be really hard to offer adoration because it feels like God's not listening or not doing what we think he should do. But adoration as defiance, not as a reaction to the good things in our lives, that's where it's so powerful. To say, despite this circumstance and the unknown, I know who you are. Adoration recenters the prayer from the problem to who we're praying to and ends up informing the rest of what we pray about and even how we pray. When the world is crumbling down around me, when I have nothing else to give, when circumstances are outside of my control, I can always praise Jesus. Not because I feel like it, but because that's sometimes the only thing I know is true. When my head is full of lies and fears, what I can always come back to is what I know about Jesus and praise him for it. And through that declaration of truth, find hope and comfort, a reminder of who my God is, that he is with me, that he is bigger than my circumstance, that he is in control. Through adoration, I am reminded of that. And in the case of Paul and Silas, through adoration, they found a miracle. They weren't asking for it. Heck, I doubt that they knew what to ask for here. They couldn't have asked for what happened. That's what God did in the midst of the unknown when they chose adoration. And there's a song by Maverick City about this story. It's called Paul and Silas at Midnight. It says, the sound of our faith makes the mountains move. I'm not waiting until the morning, until I'm out of this situation to praise you. I'm gonna praise you here and now in the middle, in the thick of it, because I know who you are. And I trust that you will keep your promises. You might've heard it said before that praise is the outpouring of what's in our hearts. But I think it can be argued that praise is the intentional turning of our hearts toward Jesus. In fact, I think that's a good working definition of adoration in prayer. In addition to deep love and respect for God, adoration is the intentional turning of our inner gaze toward Jesus. I have to think that Paul and Silas were not singing and praising God because their hearts were just so full of gratitude in that moment. No. They saw their situation, recognized they had zero control and power over their outcome, and in that space chose to turn their hearts toward Jesus and remember who their God was. So first and foremost, adoration reminds us who God is. Jesus was so intentional to begin this prayer this way, specifically that beginning with our Father helps us to posture our heart and mind around the comfort we have in knowing Jesus and the intimacy of a loving, caring, and listening God. To then say, hallowed be your name, brings the separateness and holiness of God, both to remind us who we're talking to from Drake's message last week. 
that our God is great, separate and holy, and good, knowable Father. Adoration also reminds us who we are as followers of Jesus. From our verse today, our Father, when Jesus used that word, Father, he wasn't only teaching us who God is to us, but who we are to him. Do we have that verse? Here we go. Sons and daughters. And when we know who our God is, we learn that we, you and me, were created first and foremost to be loved by God. That is our greatest calling in this lifetime. And as we get to know God, we get to know ourselves because of who God says that we are. Even in adoration for God, he is teaching us about who he has made us to be. And in that space, we find identity. You learn that you are loved that you are wanted, that you are chosen, created on purpose for a purpose, that you are God's masterpiece. I've struggled for a long time to believe that I am lovable, just this deeply rooted thing in my personality. It comes and goes, but that has been a consistent struggle of mine for as long as I can remember. I learned growing up through unspoken messages that I was loved for what I could do for others. And when I feel like I'm not doing a good job at that, which is always, but not because of the lack of hearing it from people, but just because of all this. Um, and so I have to come back to this constantly. God, I am who you say that I am. And through adoration, Jesus, you died for me. You are with me, for me. You have given me gifts and passions, a purpose, worth, and value for who I am, not what I do. And God knows your heart, knows what you struggle to believe about yourself. And through remembering who we are to God as followers of Jesus, that's where we find our identity. And what's so cool about that is when I know who I am, that also forms what I do. I know what I want to do and what I don't want to do. I don't want to sin because I see the person that is shaping me into. I know who I want to be so I can choose to not do things that are harmful to me by simply taking the focus off of ourselves, placing it onto Jesus. We are replacing our will for our lives with his. But it takes practice. Like Drake talked about last week, prayer is a spiritual practice and the more we press in, the more deeply rooted these truths become about who God is and who we are. Beginning our prayers this way is another way of saying, God, remind us again today that we are loved. Lastly, adoration reminds us who we are to each other. Jesus intentionally said, our Father. He made adoration inclusive. In his book, Tyler Staten gives the analogy of seeing everyone else in his life as background characters, and I have to admit that I sometimes operate that way. Adoration creates space to not only understand our identity, but the identity of everyone else around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that our prayers are hindered when we don't know who we are to each other. And adoration teaches us who we are to each other because it has a way of reminding us to look at people the way God sees them. The book of John says that we love others because he first loved us. That means we have the ability to love others because of Jesus. But what if that also means through choosing to remember how God, God loves us, what he did for us, that that is the way we can truly love others? Because Jesus is the same God to you, for you, that he is for every single other person on this planet. It allows you to look at each person in your life and remember that Jesus died for them too, that they're a son or a daughter of God too, that he loves them as much as he loves you. And being reminded of that through adoration 
impacts the way that we pray and ultimately the way that we love others. Our second greatest calling in this world. Love and be loved by Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it all starts with adoration. So with that, guys, what is your midnight? From that song from Maverick City, one of the lines is, in your midnight, when the thoughts are building up just like a prison, don't forget your song. The Father is listening to every word. And what's on the other side of our praise? What do we learn from Paul and Silas? Breakthrough. And the phrase I keep coming back to in this season is even here. God, even here, in the middle of this circumstance, you are good. Even here, in the middle of my brokenness, you love me. Even here, in the middle of the unknown, I trust you. We're not told to wait until the morning or until God has delivered us from whatever our midnight is, even here. So what are you praying for right now in this season? What are you asking God for? And what would it look like to start those prayers with adoration? Because that's what Jesus is telling us here to do. That's what Paul and Silas did. What if we don't even know what we need and there's something God has planned we can't even ask for? We can praise him. That's what we can do. Are you feeling stuck? You've been praying for the same thing for a while. It's going unanswered. A prayer of healing for you or a loved one. I'm not saying that adoration is the way to get our prayers answered, but I am saying, because I've seen it, that adoration opens doors for God to do what only he can do, past what we know to even ask for. Later on in this series, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to pray for others, to ask God for what we need. All of that matters to God so much, but it has to start here, remembering the God we're praying to. Check this out. I learned this recently. In the Bible, we are commanded to remember more than any other spiritual practice. To do, not do, go, obey, even pray. Just remember And that tells me so much about God's character that seriously, before anything else, he wants to bless us and know the magnitude of love that he has for us. So I wanted to share a few verses with you guys this morning, just a handful that teach us about who God is. We learn about God in three main ways through the Bible, through what he does in our life and how we see him move and work in the lives of others and the world around us. In order to offer adoration to God, we have to know the God we're talking to. So again, this is just a handful of verses. I encourage you to go home today and find your favorite verses. Just open up the Bible and look for them. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible from God to humanity, each revealing something about God's character. There's a lot to know, which is beautiful when you think about it. For the rest of our lives, we have the opportunity to get to know God more and more each day. There's no right or wrong way to offer adoration to God. If you remember from before, it is the intentional shifting of our inner gaze toward Jesus. That might look different for different people and on different days, but at its core, it is choosing to remember truth about Jesus and focus our thoughts and minds on who he is. And a great place to start is by speaking truth from Scripture. So here we go. Psalm 46, verse 5. God dwells in you. You cannot be destroyed. Psalm 91, verse 2. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. 
Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 1 John 3, 20. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. 1 John 4.10, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And my personal favorite, I think I've used this passage in almost every one of my messages, it's just so good. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So even though this is just a handful of verses like this, I don't know if you noticed, but each one is declarative. God, you are, or God saying, I am. I'll invite Daniel to come play for us. Where adoration has been the most powerful and impactful in my life so far has been in seasons of struggling with mental and emotional health, specifically insecurity, facing a lot of lies about myself, and in really hard moments, when I had no idea what to ask for for help, I would just start speaking truth about Jesus. Just what I knew, verses from the Bible, ways that he has showed up in my life before, just out loud words of adoration and truth about my God. And through declaring those things over my mind and over the lies, I found peace in choosing to focus on the God who created me. I chose to magnify him, and I found comfort in that by just being reminded of who he is the God that is by my side, fighting for me, always with me, the all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing, forgiving, unconditional, loving God. Do you see what I mean? That even in praising God and offering him adoration, he designed even that to be to our benefit. Staten said in his book, adoration given to God is always given back to us. That's incredible. And when we are reminded of who our God is, we get to learn who we are and take confidence in who he is shaping us to be. And through knowing who we are, we get to learn who we are to each other and go to see people the way that God sees them. And because of that, we love people better and look more like Jesus, all because of the simple but incredible practice of adoration. So some next steps for you guys in this this week. As we're walking through this series, each week is going to build on the last toward this big picture of becoming people of prayer. I want to encourage you each week to press into the practice we're talking about. Let these practices build on each other. From last week, you were invited into extraordinary prayer, which in a nutshell is simply means praying more than you already were, whatever that looks like for you. This week, I want to invite you that anytime you do pray to begin that space with adoration, whatever that might look like in that moment, even if it's just one statement, God, you are, and fill in the blank. If all you have one day is a start to that, our Father prayer, pray that. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That has to be a good thing to pray. It's literally what Jesus told us 
to say. And let's just see what happens with that. I'm right here with you. This is a new practice for me, but I want to see what God can do when praise is my first response. So starting now, let's begin our prayers by remembering who we're talking to. Secondly, I want to challenge you, and this will be a challenge for some of you more than others, but when the band comes back up to lead us in our final two songs today that you just sing. Sing along to the words on the screen. Listen to what we're singing about. Really mean the words. Just praise him with everything that you have today, whatever that looks like for you. Bring everything, lay it down at the feet of Jesus through worship, and let's see how we feel leaving this place today. Listening to worship and praise music and singing along to it is an incredible practice of adoration. You'll find that's what the majority of those songs are targeting, a space of remembering who God is. So I also want to invite you this week to use a worship song to start your time of prayer one day. Let the song do the work for you, but listen to the words, press in, maybe sing along, use that as a way to begin your time of prayer. And as we continue in this series, and as each message builds on the last, accountability in all of this is going to be key. City groups are kicking off next week, and if you aren't already plugged in, like Drake mentioned in the announcements, we have a city group interest party coming up on the 17th where you can get connected. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of community and the role that people have played in my spiritual development, prayer included. So we'd love to get you plugged in. And lastly, if you haven't already, read this book. It is the book I didn't know I needed, and it is changing the way that I pray. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room today, I want you to hear that you are deeply loved by God, that that is true of you right now. From Pete Gregg, the most important discovery you'll make in this lifetime is the love that God has from you. And from there, you are invited to begin this never-ending journey of getting to know him, our Father in heaven more and more each day. John 1 verse 12 says, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. But you have to make the choice to accept him into your life. It's what Jesus died for, to give you the right to become a child of God and an invitation to know him. And through that process of learning about Jesus, I believe you will find identity in who God says that you are, which is also a process, by the way. It's one thing to know what God says about you. It's another to believe it, and that takes some work. But the good news is it's not all on you. And so I'll leave you with this. It's not enough just to know about God. There's a distinct difference in knowing him personally. It's what compelled Paul and Silas to praise God in that prison cell. It's what makes the truth we know about God powerful, and that space only comes when we see the truth and promises of Scripture coming to fruition in our own lives, which means making this a practice, a habit. Next week, we're going to hear from Bryson, one of our church planters out in Broomfield. He's going to be speaking on silence and solitude. You won't want to miss it. We're going to continue to address the importance of getting alone with God and being with Jesus through prayer daily. Consistency of our prayers is far more valuable than the content. And the more time you spend with anyone, the more you get to know them. The same is true for God. And the great part is there's only good stuff to know. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in and through this series. I pray that because of this series and accountability through city groups and leading from your Holy Spirit, 
that we would become people of prayer. I cannot wait to see all that you're going to do through that. God, thank you for the gift that it is to worship you, that even that you designed for our good. Thank you for the example we have from Paul and Silas who chose to praise you in that prison cell. Thank you that you desire to bless us, Jesus. And I pray that through adoration this week, you would remind us who you are and through that, teach us who we are and who we are to each other. Keep shaping us, Jesus, to look more like you, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you that we get to do it all together. Thank you for this community, for all that you're doing in and through this church. I pray for the people in the room, God, that don't know you, that you would reveal to them the magnitude of your love. I pray for the people that are facing their midnights right now. God, that you would remind them of this practice and through adoration, bring them comfort and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.